Don't get so caught up in dollar volume. It's your bottom line that ultimately matters when it comes down to it. I'm not feeding my family in basis points. I'm feeding my family with the commission that I earn. So You're talking about pay attention to the net income, not necessarily the volume that the industry brags about. That's exactly right. I mean, $70 million in business is an amazing thing for anyone. But the reality is if you're making 25 points a deal, it is not the same as making 100 points a deal. So right. keeping in mind that I don't feed my kids with basis points, I feed my kids with that could be a new cereal basis points that you sell to mortgage brokers. I'm going to create a cereal called basis points. Hey kids, you're going to get basis points for frosted covered basis points. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Janine Ewell. Janine is a broker based out of Mississauga, Ontario. Been in the mortgage business for 12 years. And she's one of the amazing brokers in our 10 Loans a Month Academy. And she's absolutely crushing it. I had a fantastic conversation with her. She sort of fell into the mortgage business by accident. It wasn't on purpose. 12 years ago and really discovered she had a knack for it. A couple takeaways I got from my conversation with Janine. She talks about how the business has changed since she started. So what she's observed, hint, it's much, much harder today to get started than it was 12 years ago. Not really a surprise. And the second thing that we talk about, she shares how one change that she made to her business is literally saving her 25 hours a week. Quick note on this. And so her and I were doing a coaching session and we were talking about her process and I like to find the bottleneck. And I'm like, hold on, what is this you're doing here? We dove into it. I calculated for her what it was costing her to do this part of her business herself. And it worked out to be over 400 bucks. I think it was over $400 per time that she was doing. She's like, oh my gosh. And she knew this. So I'm not saying that Janine didn't already know that she was probably not being the most efficient as she could. She was already working way too much. But it was when she saw that, she's like, wait a second, that's a lot of money. I can definitely get someone else to help me for way less and free up the time. So any of you, if you're sitting here listening, if you've got some part of your business that you're trying to debate whether or not you should hand it off to someone, figure out what it's costing you. Take your hourly rate, multiply it by the time that you're doing it and go, holy crap, would you pay someone else to do that? Would it be cheaper to hire someone else? And so this is what Janine did and absolutely completely freed up her headspace. She's going to continue to grow and obviously spend more time with her family. So that's super cool. On our Ask the Expert segment, I speak to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage, and we talk about building a better realtor relationships. And I love the guys at Blue Mortgage. They got a fantastic product that works well with all of the different submission platforms and really helps you with managing your deal flow. Also, huge shout out to the crew at Finmo. And so I'm so grateful for them. You know, they're a title sponsor for us. I absolutely love that I get to create these podcasts. I talk to amazing people like Janine and I get to endorse a product that I totally believe in. So I'm telling you that the thing I love about Finmo is just really easy to use. It's easy for your clients. It's easy for you. You'll be shocked at how quickly you pick it up. They come from a perspective of making it easy for the user. And so you'll realize that if you try it out. So if you haven't tried it out, I highly recommend go check out finmo.ca slash ILMB. Go check out a free trial. Talk to the guys there. They've got fantastic support. And thanks again for checking out this podcast. Hey, Janine, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. How are you? I'm fantastic. So tell me a little bit about like, how did you get into the mortgage business? So, you know, where you are today and how you got there. So I have to be honest, I am probably someone who is not someone you really want to emulate when it comes to trying to get into this business in the sense of how I started was kind of by accident. I never woke up one morning and thought, oh my goodness, I am going to become a mortgage broker. I never had that epiphany about 13 years ago or so. I was working at RBC. I was 
still finishing up my university degree and I had just gotten married. And so I actually had gotten a job full time at RBC just as an account manager. So someone who, you know, be the person who you get to sit with when you need a credit card or you need a line of credit or some investments, you know, so that was my basically first job. I wasn't even finished university when I got started there. Mm -hmm. And I guess I had been working there about a year and a half or so when I found out I was pregnant with our son, my oldest, who is now 12. When I was off on maternity leave, I guess he was an industry colleague now I would consider him as a friend. And he had just always been kind of the bird in my ear. You know, I don't know why you're even thinking of going back to the bank. You should be in sales. Like he was a mortgage broker and, you know, he just was constantly on me to join the club. It was when my son was about six months old that he started sleeping through the night and I got bored as I do very easily. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Good for you, so six I, months. Some people are like, oh my gosh, I wish my kid was sleeping through the night at six months, you know, like. Uh, so. Well, it was a rough ride to get to that point. I assure yeah. you, it was hardly, but no. So he started sleeping and I got a little bit bored during the day when he was doing nap time and things. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to go just get the textbook and I'm going to learn some more about mortgages. Like there's no harm in understanding more. I figured it'd be good for my job at RBC when I went back mm -hmm. anyway. So I did that, or the textbook within a couple of weeks. And so I was like, well, I may as well take the test just to kind of get licensed. Who knows if I'll ever do anything with it, but it's good to have credentials behind my name. And so I did that. And then I suppose all I can say is I had a really supportive and lovely network of family and friends who had heard about what I had done, which was at the time very, like there wasn't a lot of mortgage brokers, not the way that there is today. And right. so I just started having family and friends approach me to do their mortgage. And by the time I was supposed to go back at the end of my mat leave, I'd already done more business than what I would have made in a year at the bank. Were you, did you have your license at a mortgage company or while on mat leave, you were like, Hey, I can do this thing on the side and it ended up taking over and you didn't go back. Basically. Yeah. So the gentleman who I had told you was sort of the catalyst for this decision or indirect decision. He actually was like, you know, after you get licensed, like after you actually pass the course, you get licensed, you have to park your license somewhere. So he's like, just, you know, come, you can go under me at my brokerage. And so I just started from there. And like I said, it was never this conscious decision that I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to become a mortgage broker. It just, it kind of happened. And over time, it just sort of snowballed into a career, I suppose. Right. Okay. A couple of questions on that. So one thing you sure. said was it's not like it used to be. So 13 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, it was pretty easy because anybody listening to this who's now, like, it's always great when they look at people like, you know, you've been doing this. I've been in the business 16 years. And you go, wow, how did you get there? But like, it's not the same. It is definitely more challenging today for a new mortgage broker, I think, than it was 13, 16 years ago. Do you agree or disagree with that? 100% agree. It is exponentially more difficult today than it was when I started. When I started, if you had a pulse, I could get you a mortgage. And I mean, that's only a mild exaggeration. It was so easy. It was the you hardest work with first line? With client act. Yes, just at the very beginning. I yeah. believe I did do a few deals with first line. I think they actually exited might've been my first year, if I'm right. remembering time-wise, it's been a long time, but yeah, they had some uh, unique products that were like amazing. So, but there was just more, oh, yeah. it was just a different time. And it was, you know, anybody listening to this, like it is not as easy today to build a successful yeah. mortgage business from scratch as it was 12, 15 years ago. Not at all. And it's funny you say that too. I even remember at my time at RBC before I started in the broker space, because we did do mortgages at the branch level. So, mm -hmm. you know, I did do the smaller mortgages. And I remember we had a stated income program at the time where I had a stated letter 
I slid it across the table. The client wrote down what number they made for self-employed yeah. individuals, and then they signed it. And that was their declaration. <laughs> and, You're like, you good. Yeah. And in retrospect, it's mind blowing that that was what, you know, I was doing at a AAA, what I would call a pretty yeah, conservative yeah. lender. So yeah, definitely we've come a long way and the business does not look like what it did when I started, not even close. It's more difficult yeah, on a whole bunch of fronts. Okay. The other In question I want to ask is how long did it take you to replace your income? You know, so the income you're making as a account manager, how long until that happened? Six months, but oh, I was, really thank you. Yeah, it was about six months, but that also just speaks to how modestly I was being paid. I was just, you know, young. Yeah. And so it didn't take very long. And like I said, it was something I did essentially part-time when my children were very young because we went on to have three more children after my son was born and in the next five years. So I had four children in that five and a half years after my son was born. And so it was something I did on the side. It was something I did part-time, but then, you know, eventually it became because actually exactly what you're highlighting, our industry has changed so much. The rules have gotten so much more complicated. I came to a point where I had to kind of realize like either I have to step back completely and just be a stay-at-home mom, or I need to accelerate and elevate my career to actually be right. a little bit more full-time. Okay. And yeah, it seems to me that it's gotten more complicated and competitive in terms of the mortgage space. Okay. Let's talk about quotes. Cause I love how quotes are memorable, the portable. So you have a quote that's really had any kind of an impact on your life or business. Yeah. Who it's from seems a little bit, I don't know, cliche maybe, but I really like Thomas Edison. So many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I think that's something that I've always kind of internalized and just it's kind of been the catalyst to continue to keep going because mm -hmm. I have to say in the last 18 months there's more times than I can count when I was ready to say I was ready to throw in the towel and give up it was so hard if I'm honest trying to parent and homeschool four children right with um, COVID and, and you're work busy now. you're yes. like significantly busier than you know, when you obviously when I had young children. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. I mean, trying to work a 50 to 60 hour work week and do everything that, you know, be the, what I needed to be as a mom to my children and a teacher, in essence, something I was never trained to do. It was really difficult to not throw in the towel of my career that I've worked so hard to build. Right. It's um, really about persistence. So how have you applied that yes. to your life or business? very tangibly just you know what keeping going when i felt like i couldn't keep going and you know what sometimes uh superficial as it sounds that's literally just continuing to go through the motions even when you're not in it because right. at some point you kind of do push forward and get past that so that you can be truly in it again having great mentors having people in this profession who have been kind enough to pick up the phone when i was at my wits end when i was mm -hmm. done that has been a huge thing and especially with you know the lack of socialization that so many of us had in covid you know i had a few amazing mentors and a few amazing people who were you know gracious enough to let me vent and just be that for me when i really needed it so if you don't mind me asking, like last year, what kind of units did you do? I mean, how many mortgages do you know? Ooh. <laughs> so it was or do you track volume? What do you track? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm definitely more of a volume girl and what it turns into and, in, in, you know, take right. home income. But I was just over 65 million in 2020, which was without a doubt my best year yet and goes back to, you know, why I'm grateful I didn't throw in the towel in spite of the fact that many days I woke up wanting to. Right. And how's this year so far? Good. Yeah, really good. I'm already 
just shy of 70 year to date. 70 million funded? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's been a good year. I have, you know, what do you I'm think you'll very fortunate? Oh, I would love to say that I could hit 100. And that is sort of the mental goal. Mm -hmm. But I had gone into this year hoping for 80. So if I hit 80, I will feel like I've right. achieved what I was really hoping to. Yeah, you to. probably will go past that. Yeah. But still, that's amazing. Okay. So you. Um, can you tell me something that you failed at? But now looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? Whatever I failed at. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I think professionally, just tracking and really following and I don't even know what the best way what of putting it is. What do you mean by tracking? So, tracking what though? When you say tracking? Yeah. Like tracking well, having part? a CRM and it actually goes on to, I think one of the things we're going to touch on a little bit later, but I really did an absolutely terrible job at the beginning of my business just with tracking. So when I say that, I mean, you know, having a database that I could look to to really make sure I was keeping up with my clients. I wish I had done a far better job, especially early on with just continuing to be a resource throughout the time that I held their mortgage. I've always had a mentality that I'm there to pick up the phone regardless, you know, at any point that you call me within, you know, if we work together, I hope you'll pick up the phone. I hope you'll send me a message if you have mm -hmm. questions or you need anything. But I did an absolutely abysmal job early on of, just, but it was more um, reactive. It was kind of like, hey, if you need me, I'm here, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to come find you necessarily. That is the perfect way of putting it. A hundred percent. And I wish I had done a far better job. I think my book of business would be much stronger and much larger if I had done some of that early on in my career. And I just haven't. And there's so many missed opportunities as a result of that. How did you change that in order to fix it? So I'm still not the person to emulate when it comes down That's to okay. it. What are the little micro improvements that you think you've made in that area? Door is amazing. Door is the platform that I use personally for client resource management. You know, it is just that a CRM and I probably don't use it to the fullest extent. I've never been the most tech savvy, but it is a great tool and it's something that has just allowed me to really make sure I'm tracking properly and you know, hopefully not missing as many opportunities. Right. Process management, file management really is what that's helping you with. So whatever mm -hmm. you're using, you actually put that in place. Right. Okay. So what about in the last 12 months? There's been lots of you know changes happening. What's been the biggest change that's mm -hmm. been a benefit to your business in the last 12 months? You know what? I have always had a more virtual business, I would say. In the last number of years, I've gotten more and more virtual. But COVID, I think personally, has been one of the best things for mortgage brokers in the sense of making your business more efficient. I took after Dustin Woodhouse. I read I Love Mortgage Brokering, all of his books actually years ago, and so many good little you know pieces in there. But one of the things that I really moved toward once I finished his first book actually was, you know, basically doing everything you can to get the client on the phone. And my business models changed a little bit. How I do and process applications has changed a little, but it helped me to get my head around the fact that I don't have to meet every single client in person. Mm -hmm. And in actual fact, now I basically meet none of my clients in person and COVID has made that exponentially easier too, because now I am doing so many more Zoom appointments and phone appointments. There is but what far would you less say obstacle. prior to COVID, what percentage of people would you meet face to face? 30 to 35% of my clients, I was probably meeting face to face, but in my experience, and this may be not everyone's, but I found that by and large, the clients who wanted to meet in person were trying to convince me 
why they should be entitled to a mortgage. They were, if I'm honest, a waste of my time more often right. than not. The clients who were serious, the clients who were qualified, the clients who were good, quote unquote, leads. When I hop on the phone with them, I get a really good framework and an understanding of what their situation is. And then I would request documents and actually make something happen. And I'm not spending now, you know, time on the roads, time waiting for people, it's just not, I, it wasn't yeah, yeah. somebody needs to time. see because I know if trying to sell something, if you can get in front of somebody, they're trying to sell themselves on you. So they know they got to get in front of you to do it. But exactly. unfortunately, it doesn't work that way because, you know, you can't make every file work or every situation. So um, exactly. No, you're 100 percent right. One of the last clients that I remember meeting in person before COVID was a client I met. They insisted on meeting me and I did it more as a favor to the realtor. We met at the realtor's office out in Mississauga and they spent the next hour and 10 minutes that I will never get back trying to convince me that their less than $20,000 combined Uber income that they had been doing for the last four months was sufficient to get a one point something million dollar mortgage. Like this realtor had really pressured me. And I remember thinking, I will never allow a realtor to have that level of control again. And I will never meet another client like this again in person. Right. Was, because you don't actually, yeah. you're wasting their time too. They don't know it, but you're absolutely. Actually, so, okay. Now sure. if a realtor tries to do this to you, what's your conversation look like? So if I'm a realtor and I'm like, Hey, Janine, I got these clients. I really want you to meet them. How do you navigate that? Or how do you stick handle it? I would actually offer the opportunity to send the realtor the link to my calendar so that the client can go ahead and book into my calendar using Calendly. They can book into it, either a call or a Zoom. And if the realtor is really insistent on a face-to-face appointment, most of mine at this point, I have as bad as, I don't want to know if trained is the right word, but yeah, I have sort kind of, of, you're always training people and not in a bad way, but in a yeah. like, Hey, here's how I work. And if they don't want to work exactly. that, they'll go somewhere else. Exactly. A lot of my realtors now understand that this is how I operate. But if there was someone that I was working with that was new and they weren't, you know, that would be how I would initiate the process. And if they were really insistent on me meeting the client in person, the comment I would make is that I'm happy to do that once we have an actual live approval for them. 99 times out of 100, the client, once we've already gotten to that point, we built enough rapport. Like if there was a deal to be they don't had want, there. They don't want to meet now. No, exactly. They got what they needed. I got them the mortgage. They're happy. And, you know, we might have a Zoom call and go over everything if that's what their desire is. But it becomes a non-concern at that point. No one's interested. Right. So where does your business come from now? So you said that, like, you know, I've got to kind of train my realtors. So where is your business coming from the 70 million you did this year? All of it essentially has come from referrals in some capacity. So a good portion of my business does come from realtors, probably in the neighborhood of half of my business comes directly from realtors. Mm -hmm. And then the remainder, you know, existing clients and then referrals from existing clients that probably makes up the full hundred percent, probably around 50, 50 referrals from existing clients and then, you know, existing clients themselves. Right. Okay. You're in our 10 loans a month Academy. And what was your biggest takeaway that you got from that? Yeah, no, you were great, Scott. Truthfully, it was probably just more how to streamline my process. I had never, thought enough about it. I had never stepped back and actually laid out the steps of what I do from end to end when I work with a client. It always had just sort of happened. And I think by actually laying it out, it helped me to gain a sense of control over the process and then allow me to take back control too, because I find I have this tendency to sometimes allow the client to lead. And that can't be the way it happens. That cannot be the way that this process works. I have to be the one in control of the transaction. And so when I actually laid it out, 
I was able to kind of really hone in on how to make sure that I remain in control of the transaction from end to end, giving hopefully what is the best client experience as well. Right. And not because you're trying to be a jerk about not letting them lead. It's just that you've navigated this process hundreds and hundreds of times before. I always say, if you let them drive the bus, they're going to crash it and they're going to blame exactly. you. Exactly. So you got to be like, you tell me where you want to go. I will drive the bus for you. I will get you there in the most efficient way, but you can't drive. Like you can't let the client drive because it'll always be a problem. That's great that you had that. The other way I think about it too, it's kind of like now you have a recipe. So now you've got a recipe for how you cook your mortgages and yeah. you know, it's going to come out the same every time versus going in the kitchen and you can wing it. You know, my wife is good this way. She doesn't need a recipe, but if you want to build a scalable <laughs> business, you got to have a recipe, right? I think you've created a recipe for a repeatable process. You did make a change recently that we were chatting about, like that's mm -hmm. helped you as well. So maybe just touch on like making that tweak and something you've been thinking about. So it wasn't like this was mm -hmm. new, but it was something you've been thinking about, but how has that affected like your time? You know, how much time has that helped you save? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was another thing that you were fantastic with. You helped me to kind of realize one of the areas that was a really significant time suck in my business personally. And so I actually hired someone to help me with an administrative aspect of my business. So I have a part-time assistant who is phenomenal and has done such a great job for me over the last number of years, but she actually takes the file once I have an approval, but there was with one particular aspect of my business, I was realizing I was spending an inordinate amount of administrative time before I got to the before approval. You, so she part. goes from commitment to close, as I say, and then, but yeah. you, there was a part on the front end that you really were spending a lot of time on. Correct. So hiring, I pay a per file fee for each transaction that, you know what, I do it whether or not it funds, but so far, you know, I fortunate, I have a high pretty high, I do, I have a pretty high funding ratio. Anyway, so like, yeah, you know, so it's uh, not really a big issue. And yeah. it's a pretty nominal fee relative to the time that for me would be required to do what I've asked him to do. And so it's just freed up so much of my time, you know, and my good time, like the time that I have to be available. So, so, you know, I'm working and spending that. It's allowing me when I wake up at 5 a.m. to actually focus on the things I want to rather than be doing these administrative things that are not a great use of my time. time. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. So I got some rapid fire questions. You can answer these as shorter answers if you like. So what's one thing people sure. can't find out about you from Google? <laughs> I'll answer this with the same the last time I answered this. Probably that I married one of my university TAs. Oh, Nice. I hope you can never find that on Google. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. What's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Okay. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird. Right. I, think, I haven't seen um, that one actually. Definitely a must. <laughs> I mean, it's not one of those movies that you're going to walk away with a sense of inspiration per se, but I think it's an incredible movie, especially in the world we live in today in light of the last you know 12 months or so. Now more than ever, we need to be highlighting some of these major issues and systemic racism, you know, without going off onto a huge tangent, it's a movie I believe everyone should see. And when Watch. my kids okay. are a little bit I, older, I, they will I, haven't as well. see, I haven't seen it. So if I do, I don't remember it. It was many years ago. So what's one yeah. software program or digital tool you use? You said door, mm -hmm. anything else? And you mentioned Calendly. So I'm going to take those two. What's the third? <laughs> so there's door, there's Calendly. What's a yep. third tool that you find very helpful for your business? Yeah. So I actually have the Canadian mortgage app. I do pay for the monthly subscription. I share it with all of my clients when I get them their pre-approval. So I do have their pre-approval email. And in that email, I actually have the place to download it. I'm shocked actually. I've been using it for a few years now. And when I started, it was the occasional client that would actually download it. I would say probably 90% of my clients download it now. And it's great because it allows me to track 
sort of, it gives me alerts when, you know, they're back into it and actually actively using it. If they use the little pre-approval tool to like, you know, test out different scenarios for property taxes and, you know, um, condo fees and things like that, it gives me those prompts as well. So it's really useful in terms of client engagement. I've had a lot of great feedback about it. So yeah, it's a monthly subscription cost, but so far I actually think it's been well worth it for my business. Right. That's awesome. Okay. What is one book you recommend for our listeners? The 5am club's pretty good. I mean, it's not necessarily going to be for everyone, but I personally have adopted, you know, waking up early as a mom, especially it's a quiet time like, that I get. Oh, it's like the quiet time a little bit. Like chaos, especially with three <laughs> kids, right? Four kids. Four now. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. No, you're right though. It allows me to just kind of get focused and centered a little bit and just to really kind of figure out what I want to get accomplished that day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a little bit of a, time when I can be slow and calm before, as you say, the chaos. For the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So elevator question, you're an elevator, your ideal client there. What's your sort of 30 second elevator pitch? How do you describe what you do to your ideal client? Okay. How do I describe what I do? Okay. So I am the person who's going to secure their mortgage for them. I'm going to secure their ability to buy their dream house is always my goal. What makes me as a broker different? I always like to suggest, especially when clients are coming from, you know, the mentality that the bank is the right place to go. Yes. The banks are a wonderful thing. I do a ton, a ton of bank business, but ultimately the reason that you work with me as a broker is because I am the one who is working for you. When you walk into your bank, the person who's sitting across the desk from you, they have one set of products, one set of pricing that they're going to offer to you. I, on the other hand, have lenders across the industry, including the big banks who are going to be able to provide financing solutions for you. I am on your side. I am the unbiased third party who's ultimately looking to find the best rate, the best term, the best overall solution for your financing. And that's really like who a professional I try shopper to be for, them. for somebody, right? Like yeah. help them find the right product. And if I'm doing my job right. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. So DeLorean question. If remember the movie Back to the Future, I put you in the DeLorean car, send you back to your first day as a mortgage broker, and you could give yourself some advice. What would be three pieces of advice you'd give yourself? Okay. Hire an assistant sooner. Yep. Track everything. Okay. And don't get so caught up in dollar volume. It's your bottom line that ultimately matters when it comes down to it. I'm not feeding my family in basis points. I'm feeding my family with the commission that I earn. So You're talking about pay attention to the net income, not necessarily the volume that the industry brags about. That's exactly right. I mean, $70 million in business is an amazing thing for anyone. But the reality is if you're making 25 points a deal, it is not the same as making a hundred points a deal. So right. keeping in mind that I don't feed my kids with basis points. I feed my kids with. That could be a new cereal basis points that you sell to mortgage brokers. I got to create a cereal called basis points. Hey kids, you're going to get basis points for. Frosted covered basis points. That's right. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. Okay. Where can people find you online? Good luck. I actually don't have a website right now. You yep. can see my old outdated Facebook profile. You can find me on Google. I have a few Google reviews from the clients who've been gracious enough to, you know, decide they wanted to on their own accord, put a Google review for me. All things that I'd like to improve, to be honest, for my business. But again, none of those things have been a detraction, not, not, not having pivot, them. not pivotal enough to make a difference. So no, yeah. evidently not. So I haven't spent thousands of dollars building a website. I haven't spent thousands of dollars or, you know, a few thousand every month doing social media. You know, maybe my business will have to change in time, but for the foreseeable future, it's been referral based. And so just, you know, making sure you have some sort of an online presence has been all that's really been important to me. 
Right. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Jean. It's awesome to chat with you. Yeah, we'll be chatting again soon. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. It's great chatting with you. Hey, Tom, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Great to be here again. So Tom Hall is one of the founders of Blue Mortgage, and it's a CRM for mortgage brokers in Canada to make your process much smoother and streamlined. And so today we're going to talk about some strategies around building realtor relationships using digital communication, digital connections, I guess. So why don't you tell me a little bit about this topic that we're going to dive into? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a hot topic. You know, last session we talked about digital advertising, which I think is kind of one end of the spectrum, but this is a really hot topic because it's a very popular and kind of the other end of the spectrum. So I guess, you know, just a quick example of, you know, how it's so hot and how it can be so effective. A bit of a funny story there. We work with one of the top brokers in Canada and, and he does a great job with his realtor relationships. And it was actually funny. So we've helped him build his process and all that. But at the same time, I actually started working with a newer broker who's actually in the same geographical area as this top broker that I'm referring to. And I get on the phone with this guy and I say, Hey, do you know what, you know, are you building up your realtor relationships? How's that going? That sort of thing. He goes, you know, I've really, really tried. I really want to get to that point, but every single realtor I've called, and he said, he's called 20, 30 different realtors in the area says that they just feed their deals to this top broker. And I think it just speaks to, you know, what this top broker has done. He's just done such an amazing job with these dynamics and what he's done with the realtor that he just about has a monopoly on the area that he's in. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. I know who you're talking about too. He's got a very good business. So give me a specific example or tactic that somebody could use to do this so that if they're thinking about this, yeah, okay, I like that idea. And this top broker is very good at the communication piece. So give me an example. Off the bat, I think communication is the key with it. I mean, we really helped him build out his processes and just about every touch point in the process. And he doesn't do crazy things. He's not buying them, you know, expensive this or that or taking them out to coffee or doing anything really that's expensive or anything like that. It really comes down to just a very, very dialed in communication process during the deal process. Because at the end of the day, that's what realtors care about. They care about closing the deal. So here's the nugget that you guys can kind of take home is, you know, when I think about his templates and what we set up for him, it's a very, very simple template. And what it is, if you can picture it, is a table with two columns. On the left side, you have just about every single stage that you would go through in a mortgage process. And on the right-hand side, they're just dates, right? Date stamps, okay, of when the application is complete and there's a date there, right? And it kind of goes through each of those different steps. That's all it is. But what we've done and what's really cool is that whenever those processes or those actions in that first column are done, we've set it up so that the CRM will stamp the date, it'll update the template to say, hey, this is the date. And then it'll just send, send to your clients and of course, send to realtors. And so what the realtor is seeing is just a very proactive process. And at any given time, they can look at their most recent email and they know exactly the steps that they went through. They can see that table, they can see the steps, they can see the date. They're never in the dark about what's going on. Right, yeah, that's a great idea. That's genius. So communication is the killer app. Like, you know, if you're listening to this, if you think about your favorite underwriter at the lender that you like working with, I'll bet you they have good communication. Like they pick up your deals. They pick up like, so why would it be any different? Right? Like they're quick to communicate. And so it's no different in the realtor, you know, mortgage broker relationship in that communication can literally be the thing that you build your whole business on. Totally. Totally. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So let's do a quick recap of this episode. 
Yeah, I guess just to bring it home, I mean, what this is all about was the realtor relationships. So, you know, point number one is that if you do a good enough job, you can really kind of lock it down in your space. But point number two is be super tactical about those communications, be super proactive, you know, using the tips in this episode or whatever works for you. And you can very easily get there. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. And if you guys are listening to this, you will check out bluemortgage.com. They got a great program set up for mortgage brokers. If you guys want to get dialed in like this guy. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.